Welcome everyone to the first Racing Matters podcast brought to you by the Racing League. I'm joined, I was going to say as ever, but as this is the first podcast, not as ever, but I'm joined by Becky Mortel, aka the youth of today. Um, youth of today, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. The sun's shining, all happy over here. Really? Um, how you're locked down currently in West Sussex, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go back to London anytime soon with the new restrictions, um, but we'll see. I think my parents are okay with me being here for now. And what do the youth of today do? Have you been breaking the rules like other youths of today up north and stuff, or have you been behaving? I have actually been behaving, um, but I know some of my fellow youths haven't, um, but, you know, I'm a good girl. Yeah, I guess. Um, so I've got Becky with me as always, um, who also is a Racing League staff member. But more importantly than her or me, um, our first guest on the Racing Matters podcast is well-known and I think pretty well-liked broadcaster Nick Luck. Afternoon, Nick. Hello, Ollie. I'll let others judge that. I'm very disappointed that I'm, I'm no longer the youth of today, but I guess I'll just have to give it up and realise that Becky's much more suitable for that, for that yeah. title than me. It's a big responsibility being youth of today. I'm a bit nervous. Well, yeah, because, you know, the whole of the youth now, you're representing all horse racing fans sort of under a certain age, of which there are lots. Uh, people probably don't realise quite how many there are. And we'll get on to the racing audience in general um nick before we go into uh some questions from the youth um how's lockdown been for you because we're used to seeing you not only on your um again we'll talk about this shortly your very popular sunday show and obviously we're now used to hearing you on the radio a lot but most of us were familiar with you dotting up at race courses up and down the country and in fact all over the world what's it been like in in the in the main uh, well, obviously, yeah, less travel. But I think if you're if you're able to work, which most of us in racing have been since the first of June, and actually the the Sunday program uh, potted away weekly for most of the period between April and June. I think we only had three weeks off during what I would call hard lockdown. If you're able to work, your family's healthy, and you can interact with people on at least a sporadic basis then you're doing better than than a lot so you can't you can't cut yourself too unfortunate so actually it's been it's been frustrating at times because i haven't been able to travel and go abroad and you know i've had to find different ways of filling my time but it just helps make you a bit more resourceful and finally at the age of at the age of 42 i might be might be getting my act together who knows Wow, um, that's disappointing because we have Very had some, disappointing. we have had some good um, times both abroad and here, um, not just on the race course but off the race course as well. Um, yeah, look, it's been very strange for all of us. Um, but what was noticeable, actually, of course, racing was one of the first sports to make the comeback, as you say, and I think overall um, has done pretty well out of this. Obviously, there's always more to do, and you know, hence why. Companies like ourselves, Racing League, trying to do some interesting stuff for next year. But let's concentrate. Well, on I mean, in, in, in all honesty, Ollie, I, I'm not saying lockdowns being great for the Racing League, but the fact that you've been able to maintain your prize money for next year has definitely made people more positively disposed towards the project. I think if you were to sort of take the take the mood of people about this venture now relative to what it was a year ago, I think, I think people are feeling, are feeling quite positively disposed towards it. And I think people sort of realise now that if, if there's a, a, 
if there is money being put into the game, then they're prepared to give it a, give it a go. Yeah, and um, I have picked up that vibe in the last week or so, and uh, it, it's, it's nice of you to acknowledge that. Now, talking of money in the game, um, <clears throat> one of many issues in racing is prize money. And one of the uh, multitude of ways that race courses, uh, rights um, holders and others like ourselves make our money is from the sale of media rights, whether for betting or for pictures or generally for both. Um, as someone who has made their career on the, uh, the televisual side uh, of broadcasting and racing. Um, I know that Becky might get into this a little bit later, but I just, how do you generally feel about how racing is presented on both mainstream TV uh, subscription, obviously your own channel racing TV? How do you think the sport is or has, if it has improved in terms of its general portrayal as a mainstream sport? Well, there's a lot of it, and it's maintaining its it's it's maintaining its uh, share of, of of broadcast space, which is which is fantastic. You know, there's there's over 90 days on on ITV or, or ITV4. Your Sky have doubled down on their commitment in the last year or so in terms of investment and profile, and and racing TV continues to you know, be entirely immersed in and committed to the sport. So. You, you you couldn't say that that the sport hasn't got pretty comprehensive coverage and and doesn't punch above its weight in that in that respect. I always I always want to push for innovation, uh, and I know it's a it's a bit of a cover all word, but I always like to see more technological innovation. And I think that's maybe one area where we haven't kicked on as much as we should have done through the last through the last decade or so. Mainly because racing's got so many different constituent parts. You're sort of trying to keep everybody happy, uh, and and in part because possibly isn't a, a sort of bottomless pit of money to plow into these into these broadcasts but um i do think you know I, I i do think that the most compelling television has come when we've been able to reach the parts we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have reached 20 30 years ago so getting inside the jockey's room getting inside the steward's rooms getting on jockey's um hats with cameras and and whatnot i that that has definitely brought the sport to life um significantly you know i think i think when Channel Four Racing started back in the mid 1980s, I think they did they did begin to innovate. They started to do things that were different to what you'd seen on the BBC prior to that. And I think I think you've got to keep pushing forward. You've got to keep pushing forward technologically. Um, yeah, presenters will come and go, styles will come and go, moods will come and go according to whichever person happens to be running various channels. But I, I do think every every generation has a duty to. Um, make the sport more accessible through through technology and i think i think racing's got plenty of scope in that area it does um youth of today uh what what do you guys want from from your broadcast or even do you guys i mean i know for example we've had the conversation that you don't have sky yourself um at, at your place in london so you don't often watch mainstream sport live but you do watch racing so what 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 does the youth of today want I think, and I mean, I might just be speaking for myself here, but I really love like all the behind the scenes. Like I want to know like what's, you know, in the head like of a jockey, what he's thinking. I feel like with racing sometimes it can be a bit um, like almost a bit hush hush. Um, they obviously can't say how they feel the whole time. But like Nick was saying, like going into the weighing room and everything, like that's what we want to see. Um, we just need to see more personality i think more more of the people um and 
you know, when you see videos of going around training yards and sort of getting to like the nitty gritty of how horses, a racehorse is trained, um, that's the sort of stuff which I personally would like to see more of. Uh, well, yeah, and I think Nick does a pretty good job of shining a light on some of that stuff on your Sunday show in particular. There's some very detailed interviews with with people, some interviews in the kind of 45 or minute sort of space. And yeah. you like get, do you like getting into that sort of detail, Nick? Is that your, does yeah, that turn I, you on? I do, I do, but I realise that, I realise that when you're doing a live show, and especially if you're doing a, a network show, you don't have the luxury of that sort of time. And whilst our participants are brilliant in terms of allowing access to them to talk to them, I think you, as, as Becky said, you, you want to see, you want to see more of the place. You want to see more of the race course. You want to see more of the inner workings of it. You, you, you want more cameras in more places. I think that's, that's what I, that's what I've always, always wanted. Whoever I've been working for more cameras in more places brings it alive and more that generally means more money. Um, so, mm, yeah. but I, I do, I do, I do think that that is, that is at the front of it. And, and I think a, a younger audience, and I would count, so basically anyone under the age of about 50 or 55 in this, is a, a younger audience is well able to cope with a lot of information, is yeah. well able to cope with a lot of data. Mm -hmm. Yes, we don't want to make things inaccessible. So maybe we don't want to use too much inaccessible jargon. I get that. But I don't think, I don't think lots of information is a is a bad thing if the information is presented palatably and well and clearly and in a way that's engaging I, I think the modern the modern brain is wired and conditioned much more to to lots of data lots of numbers lots of information lot stuff coming at you thick and fast yeah it doesn't ha i don't think you have to be just spoon-fed easy sort of nursery food style um, to, to, to make you understand the sport. No, and I think that um, we mentioned Channel 4 before. In 2005, this is way before the youth of today was even interested <laughs> in sports. But um, in 2005, there was a very famous uh, Ashes series, um, uh, England, Australia, obviously, over here. And Channel 4, uh, at the time, revolutionised the way cricket was presented by actually giving us more detail. Uh, Simon Hughes, who is an ex-Middlesex and I think occasional England player, took on the role of, in inverted commas, the analyst, and he had a track, a little truck outside, and he would analyze things like where the ball lands, you know, the kind of heat map, which is now so prevalent, was new. And, and as people got brought into the emotion of that series over the space of two months, therefore these casual fans suddenly wanted to know a bit more about cricket. So why let's talk about swing bowling, well, let's explain it. And therefore afterwards, you don't have to, as you say, spoon feed people anymore. And I think that, and also, also, if we had the data available to us at all times, then it would make our lives a lot easier and we wouldn't be guessing so much. And yeah. your, uh, your ability to then have a sort of second level analysis would be just so much greater. Um, but, to your, but to your point earlier, and this is something that you know, we're trying to resolve ourselves for our own programming, but the timing, especially on a live show, and especially at a big uh, festival, be it Cheltenham, Ascot, etc. I mean, there's minutes between races and there's lots of things that need to be presented, whether that's because for commercial reasons or whatever, whether it's the clothes or talking to jockeys, talking to trainers, there's minutes to get all this stuff across. And then of course the next race starts. So it's not like football where we have 15 minutes of half time or 
an hour before where you've got an engaged yeah, but, audience. It's quite but, tough. But come on, Ollie, most, most TV controllers would complain they had too much time to fill between races. And the reason racing was difficult to televise was, and you needed 20 people on the show was because you had so much time to fill and you only had a you know, minute's action every half an hour. Yeah, so you know, we, we, can't, that... we, we, can't, we can't have it both ways. I mean, I, I, I think if you watch the, you know, I, I, I sort of grew up on TV, if you like, learning an awful lot from, from people who knew a lot more than me about, about the innards of the sport and certainly about the technical aspects of race riding and race reading. But it, you know, yeah. if, if you have a, if you have a really, really good communicator as a rider teamed up with someone who is a brilliant race analyst, then you've got, you, you, sh you should have a, a perfect partnership to be able to talk you through a race, both from a, a sort of more visceral point of view and a more analytical point of view in, in not in, 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 two or three minutes without making it both engaging and without being um, alienating or overcomplicated to a, to a broad audience. I, I think some of the most ent entertaining and engaging uh, output that I've listened to on, on, ra on racing TV anyway has come either from uh, somebody like James Willoughby on racing TV when he was on there a lot and, and, and Jamie Lynch now on Sky Sports. I think it's absolutely outstanding the way he brings some of that analysis to life and just sort of introduces new concepts to people and you, know, you actually learn something at the end of it that you didn't know before. Yeah, and that's what we all crave, especially when watching sport, because you know, we're all familiar with how the sport works generally, especially horse racing in its most pure form is, is quite the simplest of all sports. But to learn something uh, is what we all crave. Now, you just mentioned uh, watching um, as a young man. Uh, that brings us on to, I believe, one of the first questions from the youth of today, which I'll let her ask you. Yeah, so we've been asked, how did you get into the world of broadcasting? And did you always know that you wanted to work in racing or were your interests elsewhere? I didn't, I didn't, Becky, I didn't know that I was going to work in racing particularly, though my interest was always very much in it and very deep in it. And it was something that I've always been extraordinarily passionate about and had somewhat grown up around. So it wasn't a surprise to a lot of people that I ended up doing this did I want to work in television not specifically I from about the age of 10 or 11 I really wanted to be a journalist so I suppose I've in part fulfilled that um, mm -hmm. ambition uh, and I fell into TV as most people do purely by chance um, a chance meeting with somebody who really had no horse racing connection at all who had ended up in in finance at, uh, at the initial at the races channel uh, in sort of 2002 he suggested to me because he knew I had a passion for racing. He knew I was on the lookout for a new challenge or a challenge, um, thought that um, this might be up my street. And he recommended me to somebody at, uh, at At The Races. And at the time they were looking for people to staff their American racing service. And they didn't really have anyone. They must've been, God, they must've been desperate because uh, <laughs> I, I, was completely, I was completely uncredentialed really. And uh, the accent helps though. Well, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a Brit in England and this was 2002. <laughs> so I, I'm, I don't, I don't really know how it quite, how it came about. But anyway, I potted down to the studio in Hayes as it was then met um, an extremely important influence on the careers of many broadcasters at the moment, a man called Jim Ramsey, um, who was a, a tremendous leader of people, uh, a very inspirational figure. And he, uh, put me in touch with one of his producers and he I think he was one of these people that would take a chance on somebody if he got it wrong he got it wrong he didn't mind he'd back them 
anyway, he took a chance on me and, and well, anyone else can decide, but I'm still doing it 18 years later. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful to him and to Steve Meehan, who was producing that show for uh, letting me do a dummy run one night for about two hours and then ringing me the next day and saying, uh, can you come and do Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday next week? And that was that. That's how I started. Yeah, I know. Just trained, basically trained on the job. But with the eight-hour shifts as well, it, it you know you it wasn't long before you'd got you know five or six hundred broadcasting hours under your belt, and and so you were fairly you were relatively unexposed as well because there weren't so many people watching you and scrutinising you and picking over your every mistake that it, it, it. I'm not saying it didn't matter, but it it maybe didn't matter as much as it might do if you'd started now. And, and does that still happen today? Is it normal for someone to go straight into presenting, or do they usually? start lower down the food chain I, guess. I don't know it's maybe it was maybe a slightly unconventional route but i think everyone's got a different way that they've that they've started somehow uh, somebody somebody's got to be brave enough to to back you to put you on the air and that uh, and, and that's that's i think that's a fairly arbitrary process mm. you mentioned uh, us racing nick uh i have bumped into you at a us race course uh, a couple of years ago where you were working, I was working, so on and so forth. Um, how you've obviously got a, a sort of soft spot for US racing, not just yeah. the sport, but the people, um, the atmosphere. And you, you've done some very, very amusing and uh, busy segments uh, for NBC and others, I think. <laughs> um, how, how do you find, uh, I know Becky's going to ask about your NBC work in a bit, but how do you find that, that sort of difference? Because I found the, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to racing on, almost all the continents now and to so many different racetracks and they all are unique but the, the u.s race day is particularly different to our own i think you know what what do you think in, in general about the u.s race experience compared to the uk one well very different i've been but very different within as well insofar as you could go to a day which isn't high high profile and there'll be virtually nobody there but they'll still be racing for 50 60 100 150 grand um because it, it, they're not really contingent on on having a having a crowd, uh, but then again, their big race days are more dramatic and spectacular and full of fanfare than anything you'd get, perhaps with the exception of of, of Melbourne, just about anywhere in the world. So, I, I love American racing. I'm not everybody does. I've always loved it, but it's always it's been a thread that's run through my my life really from from when I left school and, and went to work for. A, a guy called Joe Pagan, who runs a company called Kentucky Equine Research. I went and wrote for him for for a year, publishing magazines, essentially equine equine health and thoroughbred health magazines. Pretty niche, but that's what I, I wanted to just get some experience writing and, and living abroad. So he needed someone who'd work for nothing but but board and lodgings, and that's that's what I did. Uh, it wasn't terribly glamorous, but it taught me a lot. And, and I went racing a lot in Kentucky, and that's when I started to really fall in love with it and then it just became a thread so obviously as I say when I went back and started working I, I was doing American racing for six months and carried on doing it and then my first really big gig was to go and do the the players show at, at Santa Anita in 2003 for uh, which was part for, for Breeders Cup and a little bit on on ESPN and then when ESPN got the rights in 2006 I did I did five or six Breeders' Cups for them, and then and then transitioned to NBC. So it's been it's been this kind of recurring, bubbling theme through through my life and my my uh, working life, really. So um, yeah, it's something I'm something I've always been very fond of. I love working there. I love I love the people I work with, and 
I really enjoy the sport. It's not without its difficulties. It's definitely had its challenges. We haven't got long enough to go into it here, but uh, it's something that, that stirs my blood and has done on a number of occasions. And your favorite US track, just while we're on the topic? I think Santa Anita takes an awful lot of beating. I've had a lot of happy times there. I've got a lot of good friends there. Um, there, there, is no, there, is no better, there is no better feeling than, than sitting in that grandstand as, as dusk falls and the last race is being run and the sun's coming down over the San Gabriel Mountains and just soaking it all up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, my only experience with the States largely is, is Kentucky. Uh, Churchill Downs has that kind of sundown feeling to it after the last race and, you know, that the, they just feel a bit more iconic in, in, in some ways. I mean, of course, we've got amazing, amazing race courses here and perhaps, you know, in my case, for sure, maybe we take them for granted because we see them so often and we're so used to seeing them on TV, but, you know, go to Churchill Downs, there's definitely a stirring feeling when you walk through the space, especially early in the morning when there's no one there or late at night when the place is kind of going to bed. It's, uh, it's extraordinary. And that actually brings us on to another question from the youth of today, um, which I think, Becky, is about the differences between UK and US racing. Is that right? Yeah. So what would you say um, is like the most interesting difference between the UK and US like racing oh that's a very good question the most interesting difference um well i suppose uh, i'm trying to that's a that's a that's a really interesting question the most interesting difference well i think i think uk racing is more, is more popular in terms of its in terms of its proximity to the national psyche racing in the uk is is massively more popular than it is than it is in the U.S. There's no and doubt. Is the U.S. more um, like gambling focused? Is that what you mean by? Um, well, I'm not. I'm not sure. I still think that there are, there's a, there's a there's a good amount of really passionate fans in the U.S. But as a proportion of the population, people who are even casually interested in horse racing is much greater here than it is there. I mean, it's in front of more eyeballs more of the time. This yeah. is a much smaller country. There is a race course around every corner here. Yeah. So you, are, you are exposed to it more. Just by, it just, you'd struggle to avoid it. Whereas in, in America, there'd, there'd be great swathes of people who'd never go anywhere near a racetrack and, and, wouldn't, and it wouldn't necessarily um, be, on their, be on their radar on TV. It's, it's ironic in a sense, because in the 50s and 60s, horse racing in the United States was absolutely massive because you had to go to the track to have a bet. And when you had to go to that particular track to have a bet, the tracks were absolutely heaving. And there wasn't as much, a bit like here, there wasn't as much competition for the betting dollar. So it was, an, it was enormous. And it was glamorous as well. It was genuinely glamorous. Hollywood A-listers were, were, were at the racetrack all the time. California racing was massively glamorous. And so it's, 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 lost, a bit of, it's lost a bit of that. Do you think that sort of the is it is it the Pegasus World Cup, which mm. is sort of trying to bring back that potential like glamour? Yeah, I feel like they have quite a lot of A-listers. Yeah, they've tapped they've they've tapped quite successfully into that vibe. I've been to three of those and, and I must say I've I've quite enjoyed them. A lot of people are quite sneery about it because mm -hmm. anything that is started from scratch and new and the and the buy your slot concept has been has been ditched and people didn't didn't love that. But I think it, you know, as a as an event, as a as a as a party in in florida in january with a with a grade one race that sits reasonably neatly into that 
early spring schedule. I, I, I think it's a perfectly worthwhile worthwhile idea and it's certainly been a lot of fun every time i've got it's certainly the nearest racing's got as an event to being to being what you'd call cool yeah even you becky would call cool (laughs) um i i i think yeah because let's face it there are some slightly toe curling attempts on behalf of the sport to to uh, hook itself into the into the spirit of the time but I think I think the Pegasus does does succeed where others don't in that respect. Yeah. So it's a very big event that, and um, outside of the US and the UK, because um, you, you've just got me thinking. You mentioned about people having to go to the track to have a bet, and that's much the same in Japan and Korea still, and uh, you know for various reasons. And that's a very fair way of of uh, running the betting market. Uh, apart from the US and the UK, where have you uh, enjoyed working or, or watching racing, you know, perhaps in places? I mean, have you, have you done much in Japan, for example? I've never been to Japan. I mean, the two, the two places I'd love to go are Japan and Australia, and I've been to neither. And, 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 the, and actually, you were supposed to be in Japan about a couple of months ago doing the I Olympics. Was, is that right? So, yeah, I missed out on that. But I've been, I've been to most of the countries that race in, in the Gulf. So Dubai and Abu Dhabi and... Um, Qatar, Saudi, Bahrain, and uh, and Hong Kong. I've been uh, to Sha Tin and Happy Valley uh, and raced there. Obviously, with all the European countries, France, Germany, Ireland. So, no, I, 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 I can't say there's anywhere I've really not enjoyed going racing. I found Hong Kong a fascinating experience, a really fascinating experience. I'm not sure I could live there, but the, just the intensity of the, and the energy of the place was, um, I found quite intoxicating. Uh, Possibly, yeah, I, possibly I, literally as well. I, 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 um, I, I remember thinking when I came back, I did 10 or 12 days there a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking when I came back, I wish, I, I wish I'd like lived in Hong Kong for a year when I was 23 or something. It would have been. Oh, great fun. That's what my dad says to me all the time. He says, Hong Kong is the place that you want to live um, when you're young. Yeah, I, I, I think young and single and not <laughs> not requiring much in the way of space because it is you know it, it is incredibly cramped but i just the it was all I, I just was as i say mesmerized by the the sheer energy of the place uh, and the the it was electric feeling really and i i, I loved happy valley i thought it's a, got so much charisma that place just mm-hmm. nestled nestled into this into the skyscrapers there mm. um I'm going to ask this one, Becky, because it's it's topical all of a sudden. Um, just sort of talking about your role of presenting at the Olympics, which because of COVID uh, has been delayed. Um, you were going to present uh, some of the equestrian stuff. Uh, one of the questions that came in from the youth of today's Youthful Connections was, you know, just because you know about racing um, and broadcasting, how do you get to know about equestrian things? And was that something you had to pick up on the job previously from you know events like Olympia, etc.? Or were you always into that side of, of of horse sports as well? Well, I had an interest in it, and, and I again, I it wasn't something that was completely alien to me growing up. So it's not as though I was plunged into a, an environment that. I, I knew nothing about. Having said that, I'm by no means an expert, but then I don't, I don't pretend to be an expert. And I've got brilliant summarizers on, on the BBC, Andy Austin for the show jumping. And 
Ian Stark for the eventing. Ian doesn't need, need any introduction. He's a multiple Olympic world European medalist and is, is, is a brilliantly insightful broadcaster, totally instinctive. Yeah, Andy's got a great feel for the theatre of of show jumping. So you couldn't ask for for two people who are who are more expert. And really, it's just my job to try and bring that. I just see it as my job to try and bring the best out of them to try and to to try and be the conduit between the between the audience and the and, and the summariser and the expert, and just to set things up and and put a put a framework around it and and just give it that give it that polish, I guess. Yeah, and no, that is one of your. Uh, one of your talents for sure and I think um, one of the um, other uh, things that people are you know very much uh, or you're very well known for at the moment is your interviewing style and um, people have been very complimentary about the luck on Sunday show over the last well actually ever since really I've been involved in racing and, and the show's been been on people have been very complimentary about it um, Becky's got a question about that in a minute, but you know, I, what's the difference for you? You know, you know, in terms of satisfying yourself between doing the live at the track stuff as opposed to getting into the detail with people in the studio. Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the satisfaction you can get from live sport takes takes a lot of beating. If you're doing a really big event and you're in the moment for a big network, for a big audience, that's gonna get your blood pumping. If something happens that you don't expect to happen, so much the better. For example, we were talking about Stuart's inquiries earlier on, when Simple Verse got thrown out at Doncaster from winning the St. Ledger, it was one of the most exciting bits of TV I've ever been involved with. I doubt it was very exciting if you were Andrea Razzani and you were getting disqualified <laughs> and, and your, your performance in the Stuart's room was getting analyzed. But the, that, was a, that was, it was kind of had a sensational feeling about it in the moment. And similarly, actually, at Doncaster a few years ago, I remember doing the, the final day of the flat season with Seb Sanders and Jamie Spencer, and they ended up tying for the Jockeys' Championship on that final day. And we televised it right through to the last race, which one of them won to tie it. And I did that with Derek Thompson. And whatever is said and written about Tomo for the rest of his career, I still maintain that I, I, he'll never produce a better broadcast performance than that day. Because again, you were just kind of carried along on the adrenaline of it all. And more recently, Kentucky Derby last year, when maximum security gets disqualified and you're there with an arm round the jockey who's just been the first jockey ever to get taken down on Kentucky Derby Day in front of 190,000 people and 20 million people watching on TV. It simply doesn't get any better yeah, or more exciting or more adrenaline fueled than that because you don't have time to think. And that's the way I like it. However... There's no doubt that if you've got a really, really brilliant subject, brilliant interviewee, and you're sitting down and you've got the luxury of an hour to talk to them, then you can leave a much greater impact on your audience, I think. You can leave a really significant impact on your audience with a, with a, a talk show or, or something similar. And, the, and you might have a very small audience, but they're likely to be more loyal and they're likely to be more affected by what you're doing so it offers you a sort of deeper satisfaction in a different sort of way i suppose it's like no i was going to make some kind of narcotics analogy but i think i think i think a family show it's a family show a family show um becky the youth of today have a question about luck on sunday yeah so i really enjoyed this question when i got it um so how many Saturday night parties have you had to miss because of your <laughs> I never miss. I never miss. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, everyone's missed what they've had to miss during lockdown or 
the current tier two restrictions that are coming in uh, in London now or in, in tier three if you're in in Liverpool uh, and Manchester and probably we're all going to be circuit broke fairly soon but no I, I I don't I tend not to miss I tend to just get stuck in and uh, make sure that I'm sharp enough to get on with it the next day. I'm a little more I'm a little more circumspect than I used to be. I think that's that's an old school approach. I love that. That's just to get up, have a shower, look good, and just get on with it. That's, well, I'm not I'm not nuts about it, but I'm no. I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely I'm def I, I would definitely be a little less cavalier perhaps than I was a decade ago because just I'm not thirty anymore. But um, but yeah, I don't like to miss out too much. Otherwise, life gets rather dull, doesn't it? It does indeed. Um, and there was one other question from the youth of today about the show, which was, what's, what's been your favourite episode? That's a really hard question everyone must ask you all the time. But, you know, is there a favourite episode that stands out? I know which one mine is, by the way. But. Um, uh, there've been a few. Uh, Barney Curley was, would be pretty high on the list. Yeah, that's my one. <laughs> Uh, Cricket Head, I thought, was just fantastic. Guillaume McKay, like the, the French guests we've had have been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, a lo- the loads of, I've really, really enjoyed. Um, loads. But they, they would be two that stand out off the top of my head. Uh, Luca Kumani, I enjoyed very much. Actually, he's on again this weekend, but sadly via Zoom because of the Ealing's in a, now in a tier two COVID area. So yep. he'd be coming in from a different place. So um, yeah, they, they'd, be, they'd be a few that, that stand out. So um, we're going to come on to this. And as time ticks on, um, we obviously better plug the daily podcast, which has been a feature of lockdown for many of us uh, who work in the sport at least. And I think it's starting to make it bleed its way out of the sport um, and and break down sort of more general sport barriers as well. Um, A, who came up with the idea to do something so bonkers as a daily podcast. Well, there's only only one person who's going to subject me to that, and that's me. I mean, uh, right. (laughs) How do you have the time? I have no idea, to be honest. I have no... Honestly, I I just don't know. You just... If if I always find it... If if I've got a whole load of other stuff to do that day, then I'll just make sure it happens. It's amazing how, how... quickly I can, I can I can get it together and done if I have to it's if I've got too much time and I don't have anything to do for the rest of the day that I suddenly start getting lazy and my brain starts going to mush and it goes out an hour later than it ought to yeah for sure how do you plan do you plan like a week before because obviously you have guests that yeah you can't yeah. really I mean you can that you're sort of get your sort of plus ones you you obviously need to get them in couple of days in advance but again I try and leave that a bit fluid because you might find that certain news stories are going to tailor themselves best to certain yeah. guests and then the people you're into the, the little interviews that I kind of t- try and slot in they're okay there are some obligations and the one or two of my part my partners will help me out with that and say look can we have so and so and that's that will work well as long as it's you've got you know some good editorial to it like nick craven from weatherby's for example is absolutely brilliant every week he comes up with someone fantastic for their tuesday slot and that's just everything a commercial partner should be because they're giving you the best editorial as well as as promoting your product um but and theirs obviously uh but in terms of most of the sort of owners trainers jockeys breeders race goers fans politicians i i tend to try and leave that as late as i can because i want to be as current as i can 
So I just, I just, I just hope to God that people pick up the phone to me at half seven in the morning. <laughs> amazingly, most of them do. And I get unreasonably pissed off when they don't. And, and it's completely irrational. I rang a trainer this morning. He's probably inspecting horses at the sales. You know, I leave, <laughs> I leave him four missed calls and I'm, I'm calling him every name under the sun. And then he texts me back going, I'm oh, really sorry. I missed your message, blah, blah, blah. And, I'm, and then I felt really bad, <laughs> only inside. But it's only what I was thinking inside. Because, uh, but most people are just so good. And the other great advantage of this sport is that people are up that early in the morning, so they don't mind. And you're probably likely to get them. It's yeah. the it's the role of producer and presenter, and obviously having to learn a bit of the tech side as well. That you know impresses me most. I know from my own podcasts, and, and indeed setting this one up, they're not easy things to do especially when it comes to stitching various audio files together and making sure everything fits in and uh, have you had to learn much of the tech side of things yeah and i don't really know what i'm doing to be honest i think if anyone who actually knew what they were doing came and looked over my shoulder they'd be completely horrified but as long as you know you don't always look at the pianist's fingers when they're playing <laughs> i mean i don't know quite i don't know i i um i i hope it comes out okay i think people's threshold for what's acceptable uh, in in radio and TV is dangerously low at the moment because of COVID. I, I did one the other day and I thought it sounded pretty awful. And then I I switched over to radio. I think it was on either on five or four, whatever. I was driving to work and it's that they were interviewing some guy. He sounded like he was at the bottom of the swimming pool. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for the BBC's team of crack audio engineers, then it's probably good enough for me. Yeah. So your first episode was in July. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, July the 1st, I think. Yeah. So was it a sort of lockdown project, like keep yourself busy, or was the idea already there and it was just yeah. time to do it? The idea was already there, but I don't, I'm not sure the idea would ever have become reality had it not been for, for yeah. lockdown and the fact that I wasn't, I wasn't traveling so much. So it kind of gave me time to collect people together and them to say, yeah, get, get on and do it. So uh, I, I procrastinated for a bit and then I just thought, I'm never going to be ready. So I might as well just get an episode out and see what happens. And I had not, I really had nothing planned beyond the first episode. But of course, once I'd done it and it was Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, what, uh, hang on a minute, you've got to do it the next day, it's daily. So that was that. I was aware, I didn't have any joys then. So you've been in racing for over 15 years. Am I right about that? Yeah, probably quite a bit over 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just say 15. Uh, 15 years, though, that, that sounds fine because it's, yeah, it's still a reasonably short period of time. Uh, what do you think has changed the most from then to now? Uh, the media, I would say. Uh, yeah, race at the media. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just the way from my point of view, it's um, totally, totally different the way that racing is, is communicated is completely different. I mean, I, I, it's amazing in, in such a short space of time as well. Such a short space of time. The, the idea that yeah, 10 years ago, Twitter was only just starting to really get going as a, as a medium by which people were communicating news. You can't really, very few people can really break a story in hard copy print anymore, mm. unless it's an exclusive they've been working on for months. Yeah, There are far fewer news correspondence from daily newspapers in, in press, pre, the press room looks completely different. Mm. Um, and when I, when I started, I was still, and this is not very long ago, I was filling in for Graham Cunningham and then Will Haler on the evening standard. I was still phoning copy through to a third edition of the standard. I mean, the idea of doing that now is just bonkers. So it has changed 
a massive amount in a very, very short space of time. It's just completely different the whole way the sport's consumed and communicated. Um, you know, there are probably relatively few people now who sit down and watch a wall-to-wall show on one of the racing channels all afternoon. Whereas I, I think when I started, there probably were quite a lot who did, who would just sit, watch, turn off at the end, like it was a proper show. It's more of a, everything feels like a bit more of a kind of contribution now. And people are just consuming in chunks or on their phone or watching bet. It's just very, very different. It's the way that the sports, the sports conveyed and communicated. Um, the actual nuts and bolts of the sport itself haven't changed an awful lot, really. The rhythm, the rhythm of the race day and the, the rhythm of the event hasn't changed that much. I'd be interested to see the extent to which you can do things to change that and how it goes down. We're going to try, but it's, you know, you're right. The actual race day itself is, is quite a well-trodden path for most, even if you're new to racing, you know, you're, you're kind of put into your formulaic, you know, use of the day, which is, you know, get a drink, get something to eat, have a bet, watch the race and then rinse and repeat that six times. And then off you go. And I think that the things that, have changed largely on that front. I mean, I used to pour over the racing post before or on my way to Cheltenham, you know, largely, I still do it out of a sort of nostalgia, but you know, those things are obviously readily available on a million different websites and apps. And I think that that leads itself to what you said about the, the change in the, in the media aspect too. I mean, the idea even 10 years ago that there would, that the daily paper would be sort of uh, in its current state. I mean, I'm not saying it's in a bad state, but you know, just, it was such an iconic uh, paper. And, you know, if you're into racing, you just had to get it every day. And um, of course we don't really need to anymore. I mean, I still do, but um, many don't. Um, look, some of these changes are for the better, for the worse. Um, the last question from the youth of today, please, Becky. Um, yeah, so what changes would you like to see in racing broadcast over the next five years? I know we've already slightly touched on it with the whole um, technology, and everything but is there anything else that um you would like what, to see? you know the thing is specifically what technology because technology can be anything from drone cameras to mm. heartbeat monitors on horses to all sorts but you know is there something you think that you know if you could even in the sci-fi star trek world if you say if we could do something what do you think you might might like to try and do to, to improve oh, the well, you've got to start with more you've got to start with more cameras more angles more more and more and more coverage yeah, we, I, and lock, lockdown's been desperate for that, really, because it's it's just essentially just sort of suffocated. It's stifled and suffocated creativity as an, uh, by necessity. And what I'm hoping is that that, that does not become a, a permanent feature, because TV companies realise that they can do they can do a passable job spending quite a bit less money, and people will kind of still watch because it's the racing. And as long as you cover the race, okay, what does it matter? The rest of it, but. If that approach is taken, then it will just gradually lead to the sport becoming less and less engaging and as such less and less um, popular and really is only then useful as sort of background or sort of wallpaper that people might have on because it's just on and because it's in a very easily accessible place. But I don't think that necessarily gives it much sustainability. So you do need more coverage. You need more angles covered. Would I like, would I like to see things like 
heart rate monitors? Yeah, I would. I'd love to see that. If somebody could, if somebody could then explain what the data meant, that's the, that's the point you want. I think, I think as much data as possible. I never really understand it when people say, Oh, what use is it to know a horse's weight or what use is it to know what heart rate they're going? It's not going to help me back more winners. Well, you never know. It might further down the line. If you've got someone who, who can explain it properly and what's there not to like about it, why wouldn't you want to know more? I, that I, I find our, sort of as a sport, our collective lack of, uh, of inquisitiveness quite disappointing sometimes. Why wouldn't you want to know more about the horses, these amazing athletes, these amazing animals and what they can do uh, you know, biomechanically is just incredible. And I'm no scientist by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm, so, I'm, no, I'm no data analyst or mathematician, but I, I, anything that gives me a better understanding as to what I'm watching has got to be, has got to be better. Um, has got to make the sport more interesting because otherwise it doesn't really mean anything for example you can only explain to you can only explain to the uninitiated that enable is a legend of the turf right so why is enable legend of the turf um because she won three king georges well what does that mean because she won two arcs because she because she won lots of big races but you can't it's not they're not universal concepts that people can understand if you could actually say she could do something physically that no other horse could. When we got quite close to it with Frankel, didn't we? Yeah. People started talking about, people actually started saying things like he can, run a fur, he can run a furlong of a mile race in routinely in under 11 seconds. Then it, people kind of understand that. It's a universal concept. It's something very easy for everyone to understand. But, but people talk about that as though it's something nerdy. It's far from it. In fact, it's, it's not nerdy at all. It's something that everyone can understand. Everyone yeah, that, understands. Yeah. The, when Usain Bolt breaks a world record or broke a world record, exactly what that meant. He ran from A to B in nine point, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. and that's, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I think that people that are fans of sports, to turn someone from a, an observer, from, from a casual audience into a fan, as soon as you become a fan of anything, whether it's a hobby in life or a sport, you want to know more. You know, if you're into golf, you know, before you know it, you've bought every club, you want to know more. Angles of the clubs, all the rest of it. And I think it's the same with the watching audience. And I hope that, I hope that with the Racing League over six weeks, because we've got this sort of, if you like, two-month almost season with a you know, week bolted on or either end, we've got the time to, to get into some of this stuff. And, and obviously, we'd love to try and get some more tech on there. But use that, that long narrative period to, to help explain some of these things and, and you know, look, that's the aim, and that's that's what hopefully we can do. Um, look, Nick, don't want to keep you too long. But if you, but even okay, but even if you, even if you were just saying, um, if you mic'd up every trainer oh, before yeah. they went oh, in, before me, they went no. into the paddock, and you oh. fade, and you and you faded them up, giving the giving the jockey the instructions. I mean, why yeah. couldn't you do that? Super interesting. Yeah. Well, look, um, we can't give too much away because a lot of it hasn't been passed or something. But all of those things have been talked about, miking up jockeys, miking up trainers. You can have you, you can have that one on me. I mean, it's done. It's been done occasionally. You, know, you yeah. do get it the odd time, but it's not. It's a bit like ITV have have, have, have tried quite gamely the idea of interviewing all the beaten jockeys. Ah, oh, do I love it as a as a TV concept? I sort of I like it as an idea. I, I sort of overrate. They they did it on in Australia and Hong Kong a bit and. It, people liked it so they, they started trying it here but people weren't really playing ball so it didn't really work you need everyone to be on side you need and and the problem is that the 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 jockeys and the trainers are very accessible on their own terms but mm. yeah they need to be they need to be 
helping in in pushing the sport forward in terms of in terms of access on a race day i think yeah completely look there's no it's no surprise to me that the nfl one of their most popular video segments is mic'd up and you know it, it's not necessarily live but some of the content that comes out of that it really is fascinating and uh, it just brings you that much closer to the action which is what everyone wants to do um i'm not going to keep you too much longer nick because i'm sure you've probably got a million people to interview for your podcast tomorrow but the youth of today have come up with a set of uh questions that have sort of yes no or binary answers put it that way which is uh how we're going to sign off so some of these are less tricky than others but mm -hmm. um i haven't faced this gauntlet and, and nor shall i but you shall so i'm going to hand over to becky to to sign us off with your questions. So okay, we're, gonna play, we're gonna play a game of this or that, um, yeah. all about personal preference. You just, I'll give you two options and you just choose the one um, that you prefer. <laughs> so on. starting with Cheltenham or Ascot? Ascot. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Beer or wine? Wine. <laughs> Sweet or salty? <laughs> Uh, sweet. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Dogs. Sunset or sunrise? Oh, no. uh, sunset. Wow. City or countryside? City. <gasps> wow. Bar or pub? Mm. Bar. Wow. Red wine or white wine? White wine. Football or rugby? Rugby at a push, I suppose. <laughs> and final one, sprinters or stayers? Stayers. Okay. I agree with you for the most, apart from... Maybe. I don't know. I, I said bar <laughs> instead of pub, and I think maybe pub. But the problem is, it depends where I am. I mean, it depends where I am, I suppose. Yeah. Don't get too many bars in the countryside. You're a yeah. city boy. <laughs> I... I well, I am really. I know that's a bit weird because I, I, I sort of I grew up in the country, and I, but I, I, I think I've got the perfect, the perfect balance because it's hardly like I, I don't exactly live on the mean streets. So I live in Teddington, for God's sake. But it's just, it's just that I get I spend so much time outdoors, so much time on the race course, and so much time in beautiful parts of the country. I don't actually need to. I don't actually need to live there to get my <laughs> to get my fill of greenery and fresh air. And I don't really like getting my hands dirty that much. No, I'm with you on that front. Um, Nick, we're going to let you get on. Um, the youth of today, it's been very good to have you and the opinions you gathered from your fellow youths. This is going to be a, a, a continuing trend through our hopefully weekly podcasts. And um, Nick, thanks very much for, for coming on um, and taking the time. And hopefully we'll catch up with you again in some guys um, over the coming months. Not at all. And it's been great to talk to half the under 30s that are interested in racing. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Nick. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ali. Um, and for our listeners, um, we're working on next week's guest as we speak. Um, but we're going to keep that one up to our hat for now. Uh, look out for more Racing Matters podcasts brought to you by the Racing League. Um, hope you guys all have a great weekend. Cheerio for now. <laughs>